going to continue on this morning in, in uh, Revelation 7, but uh, before we do, um, as our worship team was leading us in worship this morning, one of the, it's actually the, the worship song that says, God, you're so good. But then it says, you're so good to me. And I wonder when, other than singing this worship song this morning, when's the last time that you said that to the Lord? Lord, you're so good to me. You see, we get consumed with a lot of things in life. They can weigh us down. They can just get us depressed. They can get... But you know what's a good remedy for that? Is to praise God. To worship the Lord. To tell God, you're so good to me. And I'm so thankful in my heart for who you are. And even in that song, it speaks about, God, you're my rock. And let me ask you, is he your rock in life? Or are you just standing on sand? Are you standing on the rock? And is he your shield? Is he your defense? Or are you trying to do it all on your own? Are you trying to be the protector? When he alone really is our shield, he's our protector. And is he your cornerstone? Is he the cornerstone in your life? Does he have all the prominence in your life over everything else? Are you building upon that cornerstone, Jesus Christ? I think they're good thoughts. It's what should be running through our minds as we worship the Lord. God, are you my rock? God, are you my shield? And God, are you my cornerstone? Just a thought before we get into Revelation chapter 7 this morning. I titled this morning's message, A Multitude Saved. We started out in the book of Revelation, didn't start with this, but we read through the seven letters to the seven churches. And one of those churches that's named in those letters is the dead church of Sardis. We read in Revelation chapter 3, verse 4, it says, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. A dead church. But within that dead church, you have a few names. You have a few people within that church who have not defiled their garments. And then it goes on to say, in they shall walk with me, look what it says, in white. They shall walk with me in white. White garments. For they are worthy. And then he says this promise to the church at Sardis. 
he gives a promise to them, to those few names. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. To be clothed in white garments. In John's vision of the throne room in chapter 4 of Revelation, it's where I believe the church is going to be raptured, snatched away, gone home to be with the Lord in heaven. Revelation chapter 4, it tells us in verse 4 that around the throne, as John is getting this vision of heaven, he sees the 24 elders around the throne. And on the throne, he, or he says, I saw 24 elders that were sitting, and I believe the 24 elders is symbolic of the church. They're sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. I believe that's the church. White robes, crowns of gold upon our heads. Two weeks ago, we were in the seal judgments, and we looked at the fifth seal in Revelation chapter 6. We read in verse 9, when Jesus had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. These are people that come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ during the tribulation period and as that seal is being opened, we're told that they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These are the martyrs. Those that have been martyred for their faith, for their testimony, for the word of God. How long, O Lord? You see, they're waiting in that waiting place for their new bodies to be in heaven with the Lord. How long, O oh Lord, holy and true, until you judge those that have avenged, that have avenged our blood? And then look at verse 11. Then a white robe was given to each of them. Each one of these martyred saints, a white robe was given. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer. The tribulation period is only a seven-year period. Wherever that martyr gets, that person gets martyred, wait a little longer. Rest a little longer. Until both the number of your fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was complete. 
tribulation saints, martyrs during the tribulation time, a multitude of people that are going to be saved out of the tribulation period. Amen? I hope you can say amen. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, in Revelation chapter 19, we read in verse 14, it says, And the armies of heaven, I believe this is the church, the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on horses, on white horses. Excuse me. Clothed in fine linen. Isn't that going to be an awesome day? Think about it. All of us that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior coming back in white linen on white horses, an army of God at the second coming of Jesus Christ. What a day. In our text today, Jesus sees those who get saved out of the, John sees those that get saved out of the tribulation and they're clothed in heaven in white garments. I think this is going to be, if you want to say, the biggest revival that this world has ever seen. Look what it says in your Bibles, chapter 7, verse 9. He starts with the same words that he said in verse 1, after these things. Or we could put it this way, the next thing that John saw as he was receiving this vision, or after the sealing of the 144,000 that we read about last week, the next thing that John saw, we're told, it says, I looked. I think John has seen something with his physical eyes in this vision. I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number. That sounds like a lot of people to me. A multitude of people which no man could number. A lot of people. A multitude of people being saved. And where do they come from? It tells us of all nations. From all tribes and peoples and tongues. They're all standing before the throne and before the Lamb. By the way, this is heaven. This is not earth anymore. Verse 1 to 8 was on earth. Verse 9 to 14 is in heaven. They're standing before the Lamb. And what? They're clothed with white robes. They have palm branches in their hands. They're crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
tribulation saints. Those whom God desires to save. Even those that have rejected and rejected and ran away from God for all of these years on earth. And then they end up, by the grace and mercy of God, they get saved during the tribulation period. Many of them having to give up their life, their physical life, because of their new faith in Jesus Christ. But here they are, crying out now with loud voices, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Our God wants to save. He's a God of redemption. He wants to save all mankind. And the only thing that God cannot let go is when somebody says, I don't believe. I refuse to believe that Jesus is my answer. This word, or these words, a great multitude, excites me. When I read and we're in the middle of the tribulation period, And I read, a a great multitude is before the throne. That excites me. And to be honest with you, the reason it excites me is because I know that I have family members that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I think that probably all of us here, the same have family members that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And here we're reading a great multitude which no one could number. Could it be that some of my own family members and yours are going to be in that multitude? Could it be that your testimony and the words that you have shared, the gospel that you have shared, that seemingly they are rejecting even now that they could be one of those multitudes that are going to be in heaven. Know this, church, that according to 2 Peter 3.9, that our God is a God of love and He's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's the heart of our God. And so I say to all of us, Keep praying. Keep persisting in prayer for those that you love, for that neighbor, that co-worker, those people you know that don't know Christ. Continue to persevere in your prayers. Because those prayers may not be answered until this multitude is standing in heaven. But we need to pray that they'll hear time and time again the good news of Jesus Christ. Keep praying. Keep trusting in your God. Keep sharing the good news, church, with this world. Even to those that seemingly don't want to hear it, God may use those words in that day.
Remember that God commissioned the church in Matthew chapter 28. He told every one of us to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and I will be with you until the end of the age. Jesus says, that's the Great Commission. It's been given to all of us. Remember, back in Matthew chapter 24, that important chapter that we've already looked at, in verse 14, it says this, the gospel must be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. What is the Lord waiting for? He's waiting for that last person whom he knows will receive him. And I believe there's no reason to delay but to rapture the church and to take us home. And then that tribulation period begins. So how are the tribulation people on this earth going to hear the gospel? The Lord never said in the Great Commission that it was only going to be the church that would accomplish the task of evangelizing all nations. We're called to go into all the world and make disciples, but it won't be a task, I believe, that the church will completely fulfill. For those that want to say, you know what, until every tribe, town, until we have a translation in every you know, language, the Lord can't come back. I think that's a dangerous place to be. I believe the Lord could come back at any moment. And we need to be ready. And God will continue to take this gospel through his means and ways. We already read about it last week in the sealing of the 144,000 Jews. But we also know from Revelation chapter 14 verse 6. We read that John saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. Preaching, and this is what it says. This angel is flying through heaven, preaching the everlasting gospel to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. I think God has his ways and means. And he will use even his angels to proclaim that everlasting gospel during the tribulation period. Listen to the message of the angel that is flying through the heavens. Fear God is what he's saying to the people of the earth. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Get your eyes off of yourself and turn your eyes to the one who created it all. Their message might be slightly different, but the people will know they need to fear God as they are here on this earth and experiencing even the judgments that have already begun. I believe that during the tribulation period, it may be one of the biggest evangelistic events of all time.
so happy. In verse 14 of our text, we're told that these multitudes of people are those who have come out of the great tribulation and washed the robes and made them white. How? In the blood of the Lamb. How are you made white? By the blood of the Lamb. How is it that you have forgiveness of sins? By the blood of the Lamb. We're taking communion this morning. We're celebrating what Christ did on the cross. He's made us white. We're going to have white robes in heaven. By the blood of the Lamb. I believe that these tribulation saints, as we might call them, that they're going to be saved during the really the whole span of the seven-year tribulation period. People will be getting saved. John sees them all dressed or arrayed in white robes, which the Bible says is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what those white robes are symbolic of. His righteousness being given to your account. The righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you the day you gave your life to Jesus Christ. It's not your righteousness. It's His righteousness that has been given to you that you will stand in white robes on that day. No one will ever be able to stand before God in their own righteousness. No churchgoer that has been committed to going to church their whole life, but they don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that will not be enough. They won't be able to stand in white robes. Church doesn't save you. Doing good deeds doesn't save you. It's only the righteousness of Jesus Christ given on your behalf that you will stand in white robes. If a person tries to stand before God in his own righteousness, God's going to reject that person. No matter how much they want to plead their case, before God, God will reject that person in that day. You see, the Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags in the sight of God. Isaiah 64, 6 says this, but we are all like an unclean thing. And all our unrighteousness and all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. We read in Titus 3.5 that it's not by works of righteousness which you have done. But it's according to God's mercy 
that he saved you. It's not anything we can do. It's all, everything that he has done for us. John sees them with palm branches in their hands, which to the Jew, this was something that was waved during the the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a time of rejoicing for the Jew. It was a celebration, a shout of victory, so to speak, for the Jew. The waving of the palm branches. Can you picture what this is going to look like in your mind? This great multitude of people that are saved out of the tribulation period, crying out with loud voices, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Look at verse 11. Look at the response in verse 11 to what is being seen here in this heavenly scene, this multitude that had been saved. We read, and all of the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. And they were just all talking, having a good time. Enjoying fellowship with one another. No, I don't think so. They were all around the throne. They were all before the Lord, before God. And it says, and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. We need to prepare church for that day. I I would hope that Calvary Chapel Fellowship might be a group that might stand out as worshipers of God. Worshiping from our hearts. You see, it might be very uncomfortable if I were to say to you this morning, could you all move out into the aisles right now and get down on your face in the aisles and worship God. Would that make you feel a little bit uneasy? Uncomfortable? Just move out into the aisles and lay prostrate on the carpet and worship God. I think all of you are, I'm not doing that. We would probably feel uncomfortable with that kind of thing, wouldn't we? Though some do. And maybe it would be a good thing to do even in your home. Go lock yourself in your closet and lay prostrate before the Lord. But in that day, it won't be uncomfortable. As they're worshiping the Lord, this great multitude that are worshiping the Lord, it will not be uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, when we're in our glorified bodies in the presence of the Lord, standing in white, we're going to hit the ground in the presence of the Lord. Get used to it, church. Don't feel so uncomfortable now.
the Greek word for worship actually means to lay prostrate. Did you know that? It, it, it means to prostrate oneself before a person. Kissing his feet, the hem of his garment, or the ground that he stands on to worship him. We see throughout the book of Revelation, as we see here in verse 11, that this is a frequent response that we see throughout the book of Revelation. The angels, the elders, the living creatures, the multitude that we read of this morning. In Revelation 5.14, then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders were told that they fell down and they worshipped him who lives forever and ever. In Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. Revelation eleven sixteen, And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones were told they fell on their faces and they worshiped God. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 4, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures, they fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Hallelujah. Worship before God. Laying prostrate before the Lord. Truly worshiping the one who has redeemed. And listen to what's being said in this worship. All the angels, the elders, the four living creatures, each one of them honoring him in worship. And they're doing it with their words. They're doing it with words. And we see in verse 12, it says, they're saying, Amen. And look at the last word in verse 12. Amen. And look what's in between those two amens. Blessing. Glory. Wisdom. Thanksgiving. Honor. Power. And might. Look what they're doing in their words. Look at the things that they're saying as they worship. There's seven of them. Seven in the Bible always speaks of completeness. Blessing. And glory and wisdom. The God of all wisdom. The God of glory. And thanksgiving and honor and power and might. He's all powerful. Amen. I read that the first question of the Westminster Confession, it asked this question. What is the chief 
and highest end of man. To which the following answer is given. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy Him forever. You see, there's going to be a lot of good things that's going to happen when we get to heaven someday. But our, really, when we're there, we're going to be, for who knows, we're in eternity now, we're going to be worshiping God. We're going to be lifting Him up. We're going to be taking those golden crowns and casting them at His feet. Look at verse 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these? Who are these? Who's this multitude that we're seeing now? Who are these that are arrayed in white robes? This is a different group. Who are these? And where do they come from? Asking a question. And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the ones that have come out the great tribulation. And I believe that if these were church age saints that we're talking about here, there wouldn't have been a question here. I believe we're already in heaven, church. I believe that what is being seen by John now is this multitude of people that have been saved. These are tribulation saints who have been made white in the blood of the Lamb. They've come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I believe that one of the elders says in essence, these are the new arrivals into heaven. They've come out of the great tribulation. These are the new arrivals here in heaven. The only way that happens for somebody to stand clothed in white garments by the blood of the Lamb is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. To put your faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. To believe that it's only by His blood that my sin can be forgiven. If you haven't done that, if there's someone here this morning that has not done that, even if you think you have, but you have a question mark in your mind, I would say prepare yourself. Ready yourself. Make sure in your heart that you're ready to meet and to stand face to face with the Lord. 
If you haven't, you can do it right now. As I continue to teach, just say, Lord, would you cleanse me, forgive me, would you wipe away my sin? Lord, I believe in the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you come into my heart? Would you save me from my sin? I want to know for sure that if I died today, I'd go to be with you. Do that. Get saved this morning. Save now so that when we partake of communion, it's going to be a whole different experience for you, even if you've done it before and didn't know the Lord. We then close chapter 7 with three promises. These promises are given to the redeemed saints that we're reading about here. We're told that there's going to be a special place before God for these tribulation saints. A special place in God's kingdom, in God's dynamics in heaven. Look what it says in verse 15. Therefore, it's always good to know what was said before that, but therefore, because they are washed and because they have been made white, they, that they I believe is the great multitude, are before the throne of God. And look what it says of them. And they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Literally that word means to live or camp among them. These tribulation saints are now in heaven and have been given a special place in God's kingdom. I think even different than what is going to be given to the raptured saints, the church age saints. As the church we're the bride. And Jesus Christ is the bridegroom who sits on the throne and rules and reigns. And for us church age saints, our destiny in heaven, in God's kingdom, is that we would be rulers and judges in God's kingdom. You might say, I thought only God judges. He's going to give that task of judging even into our hands, the church age saints. Maybe not the tribulation saints, but the church age saints. We're going to be kings and priests in his presence. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2. He says, "Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters?" 
In other words, you, you, God will give you to judge even those small things here. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Wow. Judging angels? In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, it tells us this. It says, God has to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And he has made us kings and priests. You know what a king is. And you know what a priest is. He's made us kings and priests. To, our, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Kings and priests. These tribulation saints, not only are they going to have a special place in God's kingdom, but they also now will be living under God's divine protection for eternity. Can you imagine going through whatever portion of the tribulation period you would go through? And now you're in heaven in white robes standing before the throne. God's divine protection now upon you. Where it wasn't when you were in the tribulation period. We read in verse 16 that they, and I think it's these tribulation saints, shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat anymore. Remember some of the things that these tribulation saints will have to experience during the tribulation period. One of them is in Revelation 6.6. We already read that. Remember that the opening of the seal brought forth famine? A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. They shall neither hunger anymore when they're in God's presence. God's divine protection. In Revelation chapter 8, this will be during the trumpet judgments that are to come. We read, then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. And we're told that a third of the waters became wormwood, or they became poisoned. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. You'll never thirst anymore. God's divine protection upon them. He's also going to protect them then from the sun and the heat. Revelation chapter 16, verse 8. This is in the bowl judgments. 
at the end of the tribulation period, we read, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. That promise to these tribulation saints that are experiencing these judgments upon themselves. He says, you, you're my protection. You're in my presence now. You'll never experience these things again. The third promise is that God's provisions. Verse 17 says, For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. A wonderful provision. The Lamb will shepherd them. He'll shepherd them and He'll lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a promise. It's a promise to you and I. We'll experience that in heaven. But it's even a promise to this great multitude of tribulation saints that have been made white by the blood of the Lamb. He will shepherd them. He will lead them like a good shepherd. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more tears. No more pain. No more suffering. Revelation 21.4 maybe looked at as maybe one of the great verses of hope in the Bible. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Did that stir you with a little hope? I did a lot of lifting this last week. Well, I'm stiff and sore. What's it going to be like in that day? No more pain. No more suffering. No more crying. No death. Not going to funerals. We're not going to be looking in the caskets. The former things passed away. 